so we've been talking about in Genesis how there is often a, um, a contrast between how the world views things and, and how God sees, sees things. And, and so last week we began looking at humanity. What does God have to say about humanity? What does he, he have to say about us versus what culture, secular culture in particular, um, says about us? And, and so we looked at that, and I'm going to review some of that in a little bit. But we're going to continue on in Genesis chapter 1, just pausing here for the next few weeks, looking at how, how does God see us? How are we to see ourselves? And I think this is very important, especially in light of kind of a cultural moment that's happening right now. See, today, there's, there's a belief that is being uh, taught and put forward in, in media. A belief that goes something like this. Your biology has nothing to do with your gender. You are free to decide how you think of yourself and express yourself regardless of your biological makeup. Are you familiar with this? There, there, this has been what has been known now as the gender debate. Our biological sex and our gender, are they tied or are they two separate things? And so this has created some things in our culture that many of you might have even seen. They even created some headlines, like this headline from Mattel Toys. So this past week, Mattel launches new gender-neutral dolls. In response to this belief system, Mattel Company has put forward dolls that cannot be identified as either male or female, but they are quote-unquote gender-neutral. And so you can play with those dolls, according to Mattel, however you want to identify them, male or female or something else. Um, In kind of a more extreme example of of where we've gone with this belief and where people have taken it is in London, there's this man by the name of Freddie McConnell. Freddie McConnell, uh, the headline read, a transgender man... Now, if you're not clear on what that means, because sometimes it can be a little bit confusing, a transgender, a transgender man is a woman who was born biologically a woman, but who identifies as a man and has potentially transitioned to become a man. And that is partially the case with this individual, Freddie McConnell. So transgender man, that is somebody who was born biologically a woman, but now identifies as a man, loses court battle to be registered as a father. Freddie McConnell was the first person, I believe, in in England to give birth as an identifying man. So so she had gone through some transitional surgery but had left her uh, female reproductive parts in place so that she could potentially, through in vitro fertilization, have a baby. So she gave birth to a baby and wanted to be identified as the baby's father, not the baby's mother. And, and so he went into this court case and ultimately lost for right now. He's appealing it. This has gone all the way down then into our language. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, you might have seen this headline, recently took the plural pronoun they and has added a definition to include the fact that they can be used as a pronoun for non-binary people, people who identify as either male or as, as neither male nor female. So if you're, if you're quote-unquote gender neutral or some other gender than male or female, you can now be identified as they instead of he or, or she. Um, the, all of this has gotten to a place where even the New York Times now has a gender editor for the New York Times. So, so this thought process that 
this belief today that, and here's what, the, here's what the sexual culture is saying, a person's gender is fluid and is not to be dictated by one's biological sex. You are who you feel you are. That is the, that is, that is the prevailing wind of doctrine that's, that's coming through culture right now, is that fluid is not tied to biological sex. You are who you feel you are. And, and this is nothing new um, within the mental health community those who believed that they were a man when they were biologically a woman or vice versa had been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Up to recently, gender dysphoria was, identif- was considered a mental illness, something to be treated if you as a man believed that you were a woman. That was considered a mental illness. Today, though, gender dysphoria in the DSM, they've actually changed what they constitute as the mental health issue, they now say that gender dysphoria is the distress experienced by those whose psychological or emotional gender identity differs from their biological sex. Do you understand the difference in what's taking place in the definition? It's no longer that the mental health issue is the fact that you believe you're a woman when biologically, in fact, you are a man. The issue now is the distress you feel about it. The implication in the mental health community is you should not feel distressed if you feel that way. The thing that we have to treat is the fact that you feel distressed. And, and so the, the extreme end of dealing with this is ultimately helping a person transi- transition. That's where transgenderism comes into play. Like we saw with Freddie McConnell, if this is what you believe, if this is what you feel, well, your feelings and emotion are, are the final arbiter. And so you need to follow your feelings on, on this. So this is where we find ourselves. This is the moment, this is the prevailing thought concerning humanity. A person's thoughts and feelings about themselves, what I feel to be true is what I must act out and live upon. So let me just ask the question. When, when culture is coming to us and saying, this is how we are to think about gender, this is how we're supposed to think about sexuality, should this be the case? Is this what we are to accept? Are we to accept the position and belief that culture has taken on this issue? In fact, culture even says it's unhealthy for you or for me to force someone to suppress what they feel about themselves. Is that right? Is that true? Is that wrong? Was there ever any real grounding for what many of us grew up with as a traditional understanding of sex in gender, does God's word even have anything to say about this issue? And finally, should we as a church even be talking about this even on a Sunday morning? Like, is this something that we should be thinking about and addressing? Let me just kind of tip my hand and say I do believe that the issue of gender and human sexuality is absolutely something that we as a church should not only care about, should be talking about. As I was preparing for this message this week, I thought to myself, 17 years ago when I began in pastoral ministry, I would never have even thought that this would be a message that I would be preaching. It would not even have occurred to me that this needed to be addressed. Although, as we'll see, God's word actually speaks very clearly to it. So while it wasn't on my radar screen or many radar screens to actually feel like we need to address it, The truth is God's word actually speaks to it, which is why I believe we need to care about it and why we need to talk about it. 
And we're going to find what God has to say about it actually in Genesis chapter 1. So it's not going to take you long to get there, but open in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles that's in the seats in front of you just right underneath. You might have to reach over one chair and that's okay, but we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Let me just say a few quick things as we turn there. Uh, It shouldn't take you long as we look to address this issue. First, I want to say... I stand before you today as somebody who is very passionate about wanting to be obedient myself to the word of God and practice what I preach. And so when I say that, what I'm referencing is my message last week. My message last week, I came and I shared the fact that God's word proclaims that every human being is made in the image of God and is worthy of worth, dignity, and purpose. And so if I believe that to be true, then when it comes to an issue like transgenderism or this gender discussion where where I grew up with a vastly different understanding of these things. I want to be incredibly cautious. I believe that all of us should be incredibly cautious that we do not belittle, that we do not mock, that we do not ultimately place unnecessary shame on individuals who express a view different than what we're going to see in God's word. I want to be so careful about it. I don't want to joke about it, although it's quick to, we can be quick to go there. I've had to ask God his forgiveness this past week for, for doing that. I want to address this issue the way that God's word addresses it, and I want to address it in a way that, that honors those who are made in the image, image of God. That also leads me to say that at the end of the day, it's not my opinions on any of this that we're looking at. My opinions don't mean anything. We're going to listen to what God has to say. I am bound. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're bound to what God has to say about this. And so at the end of the day, it's not having an issue potentially with what I say. It's, it's me just coming and saying, listen, this is, let's hear what God has to say. So what does he have to say? What does he have to say? Well, look at verse 26 in chapter 1. God comes to us and he says these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of God. And last week, as we considered what God had to say about humanity, three things jumped out to us. We made three observations that I want to use as the building blocks for one more observation today. The first thing that we said from this passage is that God says we are beings created by God. We're not here by accident. Whatever we say about humanity, we are here on purpose because God created us. There wasn't some evolutionary process that got us here through some random act that There wasn't an ultimate source for God is the creator of all humanity, which means that all human beings here are here on this earth according to God's design. But although we are created, we are unlike anything else in creation. We are not animals. The prevailing wind of doctrine and science is that you and me as human beings are just that. We're just like created things. We're no different than than apes. But God comes in Genesis 1 and he breaks the pattern when he creates man. Yes, he creates us. Yes, we are created beings, but we are not made according to any existing kind. We are made, it says, according to God's kind. This is where it comes and he says, I have made you in whose image? My image. We've been made in his image. In the image of God, he makes us. What does that mean? It means that we're created as 
his reflections as his representatives in the world. He has made you and he has made me to be little mirrors in this world. We are not like other aspects of creation. We are made to make him known, to make his character known, to make his nature known. He created us with purpose. He created us with dignity and worth because we have been made in his image. The way that God engages us, his character, is the way that we should engage one another with love and justice and righteousness and holiness. The fact that God is relational in his very nature and the fact that he rules is what you and I should be engaged in. Relational beings who, who rule and have dominion over the creation. And the implications of these three points we said last week are this. Being made in the image of God means that every person, every human being that walks the face of the earth, regardless of gender, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of where they are born, has purpose, worth, and value. This is what we believe. This is what God proclaims. And why is this so significant? Because as we saw last week, you can't get there with science. You cannot prove that a human being has worth and value and should therefore have rights through science, all science can say is that you're just a little bit more complex than other things in nature. Science can't show that a human being has worth or value. It can just make the observation that you're more complex. Philosophy can't get us there. You talk to any philosopher today and you get them, you ask them the question, tell me, why should I believe that a human being has worth and value? The best a philosopher can say after they say, what is worth, what is value? They can't even answer that question. After the, you can get to agree on that, they say is that you have capacity. You can reason, you have morality, you, you have a sense of right and wrong, you have preferences, and you can express those things. But what do you do with human beings that don't have the ability to express their capacity? Peter Singer, one philosopher, says, well, if we take it to its extreme. Those human beings don't have worth and value and therefore can be exterminated. You can't get there with philosophy, you can't get there with science, but we can get there with the truth of what God says about us. But now here's where we come to the discussion of gender. There's something more that can be said. Look back with me at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him what? Male and female, he created them. From this passage, we can say very clearly that there is a distinction. We are created by God as either male or female. There is a biological construct in, within humanity. There is a binary nature within humanity in which God creates male with male parts, female with female parts, and science, for once, actually agrees with this. Like, science can't necessarily agree with the statement that we're created by God, male and female, but science says, yes, male and female, there is a binary nature to humanity. At the very chromosomal level, the, the very the, the most infinitesimal, what makes you, you, you are either XX or XY. If you're a man, you're XY. If you're a woman, you're XX. Your chromosomes reveal that you are either male or female. And then those chromosomes, as they develop and they produce the rest of, of who you are, have what we call primary and secondary characteristics. Your reproductive system as man or as woman, it looks different. There, there are other features within the, within the man's makeup, within the woman's makeup, that are obvious to us that there is a distinction, not just on the very fundamental construct level of what it means to be male or female, but then those things manifest themselves. And so we exist as male and female, created by God. Like science doesn't disagree with this. Even Jesus comes and he says in Matthew 19:4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them, guess what? Male and female. 
This isn't a controversial statement. I'm going to get to the controversial statement in a moment. But we're not just told in Genesis here that we're created male and female, that there are two sexes. We're also given a reason. This is, this is important to know. Did you know that we were given a reason in the Bible why he created us male and female? And it's not just that we were made in his image. It goes deeper than that. Look at verse 28 with me. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God comes after he creates male and female, and he gives them a mission. He says, Humanity, I am calling you to do something. I'm calling you to fulfill a mission in the world. And here's what I'm going to say. God created the distinct sexes so humanity could fulfill its mission. What's being said here in verse 28 is I created male and female because I gave humanity a mission and they can only fulfill it by having male and female. And so what is that mission? Well, it's right there in verse 28. I'm going to summarize it for you. What's humanity's mission? To fill the earth with those who rule as image bearers of God. To fill the earth with those who rule the earth as as image bearers of God. That the earth is to be filled with humanity, little mirrors of God, reflecting God to one another and to the creation around them. And this requires, according to the design of God, a distinction, male and female. That male and female, when they come together for the purpose of procreation, they create other image bearers of God. Genesis 2, 21 through 24. We're going to look at that passage in more totality in a few weeks. But it says this in verse 23. Then man, that's Adam, the first man, said, This is the last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become, what? One flesh. For what purpose? For the purpose of not just joining together in the intimacy that God creates, but then to to create life so that there would be more image bearers who would fill the earth. If man and woman is to fulfill the mission that God has for humanity, he creates them male and female to come together. But there's this one thing that gets overlooked. It's, it's not just that God comes and he says, hey, listen, I created humanity and male and female so that you guys would procreate. He says, I've created you male and female so that you would fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. We miss this part. It's not just that a male needs a female in order to procreate. And a female needs a male to procreate to fulfill this mission. A male needs a female in order to rightly exercise dominion. And a female needs a male in order to accurately exercise dominion. It's not just about male and female being necessary for procreation. It's, it's about male and female being necessary for exercising dominion and filling the earth with image bearers of God. And, and these distinctions we're going to talk about next week in the role of men and women, but this is, this is big. God says, I've given humanity a mission, and, and I've created male and female for that purpose, but there's, and now this is where it gets controversial. This is the thing where, where we deviate. In order for us to fulfill our mission, in order for us to do that, we must live as male and female. Specifically, God's word comes to us and says, our gender is derived from our sex. That's the controversial part in today's world. You cannot take away sex 
and gender. You cannot separate the two. In the eyes of God, they are two sides of the same coin. And here's the logic of Genesis. This is fascinating. I hope you, I hope you get this. I hope you receive this because we're going to talk about the foundation here and then we're going to say, like, so how do we respond with these things? Something very unique happens in Genesis chapter 1. God refers to us as male and female. And so he uses adjectives to describe us. But in Genesis 2, he moves away from adjectives describing us as male and female to the nouns man and woman. This is a fascinating shift that happens. And it's not just linguistic gymnastics. I'm not just being cute here with the use of words. God very intentionally is making it abundantly clear that to be a male is to be a man. To be a man is then to potentially become a husband and then a father. To be a female is to be then a woman. And to be a woman then is then to have the ability to be a wife and a mother. Gender and one's biological sex go hand in hand. If you and I are to fulfill the design that God has for us to fill the earth and then ultimately to rule over it, We must do so according to the assigned sex that God has given to us. Another way of saying it is is very simply this. Males and only males turn into men. Only men can become husbands and fathers. That's the logic of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Females and only females turn into women. Only women can become wives and therefore mothers. If a male does not live as a man, he cannot then therefore become a husband and therefore a father, which is part of God's design. And if a woman, or if a female does not live as a woman, she cannot then become a mother and a wife, which is necessary for God's design to fill the earth and subdue it. Gender and sex go hand in hand. God doesn't separate the two. There continues to be this binary understanding of not just sex, but of how we think about the sexes as expressed in gender. The Old Testament is filled with words like son, daughter, boy, girl, brother, sister, young man, young woman, father, mother, father-in-law, mother-in-law, uncle, aunt, down the line, prince, princesses, king, queen. There's always this understanding of, of a male is this and a female is this and this is how you express it. Humanity's design is tied to humanity's mission. This, though, is not what we hear in our culture today. Today, we hear that you can be biologically a male or biologically female, but your gender identity is separate from, from that. And if you feel like that's the case, you need to live according to how you feel. That, though, is not God's design. It's not God's design. So how did we get to this place? How did we get here? If this is God's design and it's very clear, then why is there the struggle? Why is there the struggle? The answer is actually right here again in Genesis. You see, the answer to this is in Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2 present to us God's perfect design and the way that he calls us to think about ourselves and about our worlds. Genesis 3, though, records for us what we call the fall. The fall. The first place where humanity 
explicitly rejects God's design and accepts its own way of thinking about itself. In fact, the very first what we call sin was humanity acting upon feelings that were contrary to God's revealed word. And the moment humanity acted upon its feeling of what it should do rather than what God said it should do, it ushered in a brokenness into our world that has continued all the way down the line to today. See, in Genesis chapter 3, we have Adam and we have Eve, and Eve being confronted with, with the serpent who comes and says, God had said, listen, you can eat of any tree, of any fruit, just not of this one, because the day that you eat of it, you will die. And Eve saw the fruit, saw that it was, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and, and it looked good to eat. That's what she was feeling. She, she felt like she should be able to have that. Yet the word of God came to her and said, don't eat of it. You might feel like you can. You might even feel like you should. But God said, don't. And so what did Eve do? She took of the fruit and she ate of it. The moment she gave into that temptation, she took and she ate. And then she gave it to Adam, who also took and ate. Sin entered in. See, today the design of God is very clear. Your biology, it does dictate your gender. Who God created you to be as male or female is to be expressed according to your biological sex. Today there are people who feel, and tragically so, that they are not the bodies that they have. That feeling is real. It's as real as it was for Eve in the moment that she saw the fruit. And she says, I feel like I should. I feel like I should take it. God says, no, that's not the way it is. In the same way, people who struggle today with gender dysphoria and transgenderism are having those feelings and they're real and, and they're straightforward and they're in their face and, and, and they, have, they have in that, in that time what we all have, the, the, the situation of will I submit myself to what God says about me and about the world or will I submit to my own feelings? I want to make a very bold statement today, but, but one that I believe that we can make according to God's word. To have a feeling, to have a feeling like a person struggling with transgenderism has, that they are not their biological selves, that feeling in and of itself is not a sin, but is a temptation to sin. The question is, am I going to act upon the feeling that I have? Let me give you a more basic sin or a more basic feeling that can turn into sin for any one of us. Sometimes you've had things happen in your life, I know that I have, that make you feel sad. Has anybody here ever felt sad? Is it wrong to feel sad, to have that emotion, to have that feeling? It's not wrong to feel sad. Is it wrong, though, to despair? Okay, despair is a sin. Despair is taking sadness and believing the way things are today are the way things are always going to be, and there is no hope for me. If you are a follower in Jesus Christ, there is always what? Hope. Despair is the absence of hope. To believe that there is no hope is to not believe what God says is true. To let your sadness move you into despair. Do, do you see, do you see the, what happens there? And, and so we don't come to somebody and we don't come and we say, say, listen, you should not feel sad. Like my husband just died. My child just died. That is, that's going to make you feel sad. That, 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 there's, 
There's nothing wrong with that, but, but ultimately, just like the person who feels like they are not who they say they are, we don't take that and we don't live in that and we don't act upon that. But why does sin exist in our world? It's because, why do we reject God's design? It's because of the fall. There's this passage. Flip over with me, and we're going to go New Testament here for a moment. Acts chapter 8. And then I'm going to start landing this plane. The fall is what brought about the fact that humanity now seeks to reject God's design. Acts, or Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says these words. It, it talks about the extent of all this. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as the redemption, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Romans chapter 8 says, if you even look at creation, we see the brokenness and the effects of sin. Creation groans to be renewed, to have what has been broken repaired. And then he says, we ourselves groan. Each and every one of us feels the impact of sin. You and I have feelings at times that we know go contrary to the word of God. We are tempted, like Eve, to reject what God says is right and good and to go our own way. And not only are we tempted to that, but Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. We all fall into this. And the struggle over gender and the rejection of God's design is just an indication of the brokenness. But where do we go from here? We know God's design now. We know what culture has to say. Ultimately, we come and we say, like, why should we accept what God has to say about this? Why do we go this way? How, how do we respond? I want to say three things. I want to leave you with three words this morning. The first is this. How should we respond to transgenderism, those who struggle with it, those who uphold that view? The first word that I want to leave you with is compassion. Compassion. You can fill in the word love here. You can put compassion and love. It, it, I picked compassion as a manifestation of love. Listen to me very, very clearly. Knowing the truth, knowing God's design, and knowing that we live in a broken world with people who really genuinely struggle with this, we want to come at this with compassion. John 13, 34 through 35. You mark this down, look at it later, but you should know it. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you should what? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. In the immediate context, he's talking about love between Christians. We should engage one another with love. And so he said, well, but those secular people out there who don't hold to this view, I mean, what about that? Well, Jesus says, love your what? Neighbor. And then let's get all the way to it. Love your enemy. Now listen, I'm not saying that somebody who holds a different view than God's word should be viewed by you as your enemy. I'm just saying that love goes all the way. And so what does it look like to be compassionate? What does it look like to manifest love as compassion? By the way, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we're supposed to clothe ourselves, I love this, with compassion. And so 
What does it look like? It, it means that when we come to people who are broken as somebody who is struggling with transgenderism or holds a view that, they're, that gender and sexuality are, 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 are to be separated, we come at that and we understand we live in a broken world. But that this person is made in the image of God and, and they have dignity, they have worth, and they have value, and they are to be engaged with compassion and not hate. And not hate. They're not to be mocked. They're not to be belittled. That is not a manifestation of loving our neighbor to, to mock them. Even when they come at us, look at Jesus Christ. He did not, I love this word, he did not revile in return. And so with us, knowing what is to be true, we come with compassion and we come with love. But, but here's where the Bible's definition of love runs contrary to the world's definition. Because according to the world, loving someone means giving them license to pursue whatever they believe will bring them happiness and fulfillment. Isn't, isn't that kind of the understanding? If you really love me, you will validate me. You will affirm me. Instead, love, and this leads us to our second word, it leads us to speak truth. How do we respond with compassion, but we also respond with truth? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, it, it says something interesting. Paul writes, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And we know the truth. And so we bring it to bear upon the situations that we have, and we speak truth. We speak God's truth. We speak what God says about ourselves and about the world. I, when you begin discussing, or even with your children or with friends, transgenderism, you go back to the foundation, the foundation being that all human beings are made in the image of God and worthy of value and worth, and they have purpose. And that in God making us as male and female, that's, that's his design because it fulfills the mission that God has for humanity. Listen, if you don't believe that there's a God, if you don't believe that he's given humanity a, a mission and a purpose in the world, then do you see why then you can separate gender from sexuality? Because there's no foundation for these things. But we come and we speak truth. We say, we believe there's a foundation for this. And in and, and, and believing there's a foundation for this, by knowing what God's design is, we care deeply about human flourishing. We want to see people live the lives that they've been created to live. And that's where we come in truth and we say, it is a lie to ultimately believe that what you feel when it goes against the word of God is what is right and true and good for you. Now to speak that is hard. Who wants to hear that? I don't want to hear it. I don't even want to hear, hear when it's something in my own, own life. When I act upon my feelings and contrary to the word of God, it's, it's hard. But we have to speak ultimately the truth. We do it ultimately in relationship and we do it with compassion. We speak the truth, which also includes hope. That's the last word. I want to leave you with hope. Because if you and I enter into discussion and thinking about this and we just talk to people about here's God's design and here's why it's wrong, and we don't leave with hope, then we haven't been faithful to the message of the gospel. You see, Jesus Christ entered into this world to address our brokenness. It is because we have each gone our own way that, that we've invited in the pain and the suffering of our world. 
And so the, the message of the gospel, the hope of the gospel is this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. What does that mean? It means that I, I am not driven and led by my feelings. I am driven and led by the truth of God's word and who he has transformed me to be. That my feelings and your feelings don't have the final authority on me. That my happiness is not derived. Here's the, here's the greatest hope that every person needs to hear, no matter who they are, if they're struggling with something that goes against the design of God. You are not your feelings. You are not your desires. Those don't have mastery over you. The world says, if you don't fulfill the desires you have, you will never be satisfied. You will never be happy. Do you want to know one of the things that breaks my heart? One of the dirty little secrets that doesn't get talked about when it comes to the issue of transgenderism is that studies have shown, listen, there's always studies wanting to prove this or that, but here's concrete study. They have shown that those who have gone through with transitioning, that means that they have looked to change their biological features. Although you can never change who you really are, your chromosomes can never change. When you try to change your anatomy, those who've gone through transitioning are 20 times more likely to commit suicide. 20 times. That, no, that's astronomical. 10 to 15 years after they've done it, they're 20 times more likely to commit suicide. Does that sound like that transitioning is the solution to the problem? We come with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and says you might feel this way, you might believe this is who you are, but that's not, your identity is not your feelings, not your desires. Your identity is rooted in who God has made you to be and who God redeemed you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Most of us are aware of the story of Bruce Jenner who transitioned to become Caitlyn Jenner. One of the things that took place after Bruce's transition to Caitlyn was that he posed on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine. I couldn't even show you the, the picture because it wouldn't necessarily be appropriate. He's wearing lingerie. And, but in the picture, there's something very interesting that you'll notice. <clears throat> the photographer spoke to this, that he is leaning up against, I believe, a bar or something, and his hands are behind his back. But the rest of him is on, on display now as a woman. And people took quick notice of the fact that Bruce Jenner's hands were not on display in the picture. And when the photographer was asked about that, he was very forthright and said, he has man hands. We had to hide the hands. It was the one part of his body that did not display femininity. And so we had him hide his hands. My heart kind of breaks at that story. It, it breaks because it shows how broken it is. That no matter how hard Bruce Jenner wants to try, at the end of the day, literally the physical makeup of his body still screams, you're, you're a man. Paul McHugh, who was one of the chief researchers in the psychology department at John Hopkins University, has come out against transgenderism and said, listen, we pushed for this to help people in the past, but it's absolutely wrong. You cannot change the fact that a man is a man and a woman is a woman no matter what you do anatomically with, with them. And Bruce Jenner was an example of that. He had to hide his hands. At a chromosomal level, you can't, you can't change it. But I read this past week of somebody who, in referencing that story, said, you know what? 
what Bruce Jenner and what all of us need to do is, is to not hide the hands, but look at another set of hands. To look at the hands of Jesus Christ. To look at his nail-pierced hands. And to see the pierced nails in his hands because the brokenness of his skin, the scars on his body are hands that we don't hide, but hands that we put on display. Because what do they say? They say that our God so loved the world and cares about humanity that the brokenness that we experience because of our sin, Jesus Christ came in to heal. The only thing that will ever bring a peace and an ultimate joy to those who are broken is not acting upon their feelings and their desires, but giving in to the one, Jesus Christ, who is able to fully heal, restore, and redeem. That's not just the message for the transgender person. That's the message for every single person here today. And we want to be a church and we want to be a people who understand the issues, who understand the truth of God's word. But when we come to bring to bear the truth of the gospel, the transforming power of Jesus Christ, we do it with compassion, we do it with truth, and we do it with hope. And it starts by preaching those things to our hearts first and foremost every day. Amen? May the Lord help us as we look to live in light of his truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves. Father, each one of our lives is marked by moments and times where we were left to ourselves to act upon what we think is right and true. And we all see where that got us in one way or another. And so we thank you that not only you bring your truth to bear, but you show us, Lord, how by the transforming power of Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead. Lord, we are now able to live in the newness of life if we would give ourselves to you, if we would forsake our own way and embrace yours. And so, Lord, for each and every one of us in this room, would we take your truths about the world, about ourselves, and about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, may it change and transform our hearts to the glory of your name. We pray and ask through Christ our Savior. And all God's people said, amen.